Leader Talk. 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 Hi everyone, my name is Natalie Dawson. Welcome to Leader Talk. This show is proudly brought to you by Brainiac. Each week we are meeting with incredible leaders from across Australia and around the world to discuss all things leadership and business insights. Each, per- each person coming on this show has given up their valuable time for one very clear purpose, to give back to small and medium business owners. In this episode, my co-host, CEO of Peerlight, Gus Sarianto and I are super excited because we are chatting to Liz Jones, CEO of Lotus Doors. Liz Jones is an experienced business professional and values-based leader with proven experience delivering large-scale, strategically critical outcomes for organizations. In 2019, Liz was awarded Telstra Victorian Businesswoman of the Year, and this year, Liz is a judge for the Accelerating Women category in the Telstra Best of Business Awards. Welcome to the show, Liz. Hi, Gus. Hello, Liz. Thank you for your time. Now, Liz, we begin each show with two fun questions that we ask our guests. Um, so we would like to ask you these questions. Your first one, uh, it is book week this week, everyone. So we'd love to ask you, Liz, well, what is your favourite book? Because I'm a um, big podcast uh, person now, obviously, unless I'm a book. But I did read a book um, last year that I found quite interesting called The Wife Drought. Um, and it was a book about uh, female leaders and how we need wives um, and uh, that a lot of successful male leaders have wives. And uh, I thought it was quite an interesting um, interesting book. So that's my favourite book at the moment is The Wife Drought, how uh, I'd love to have a wife if I could have one. <laughs> oh, fantastic. And Gus, what about you? I can almost guess your book, but um, <laughs> what is your favourite book? As you know, I, I like reading books. It's... Uh, Reading books is like eating noodles for me. So the one that I really, really like lately is Infinite Mindset by Simon Sinek. Uh, and I, I do really learn from it uh, to the extent at Peer like we actually, uh, you know, improve and change our vision and mission based on that book. So Infinite Mindset by Simon Sinek is my favorite for this year. Fantastic. Uh, and if there was one animal you could see in the wild, Liz, uh, look, what I've animal would that be? I've actually been very fortunate. I spent six months travelling through Africa. So uh, this is an easy one for me because I've seen lots of animals in the wild. But the most amazing animal for me in the wild was the elephant. And um, we camped a lot when I was travelling through Africa in tents, in game parks where there wasn't any missing off and we were able to interact with animals. And so um, just seeing the elephant um up close and in the wild, in their natural habitat and environment, actually camping within this sort of environment was just unbelievable. So I just can't forget uh, the experience of, of uh, living alongside animals when I was in Africa, uh, elephants when I was in Africa. Oh, that's incredible. And what about you guys? Uh, I love crocodiles. Uh, so when I went to Darwin, <laughs> I, I used, before the lockdown, I used to go there so often and I always go to uh, to check them out. I just have something about crocodile. Uh, I love them. That's a good, have you ever <laughs> eaten crocodile? Not, not yet. Uh, not yet. But, uh, you know, but I, I just, especially the big one in Darwin, you know, the yes. five meter, six yeah. meter crocodile, you know, it's just like, oh my God. It's, yeah, uh, I have. Have I, you eaten crocodile leaves? When we were traveling through Africa, it was yeah, like I have quite too. a common um, food to eat when we were camping. Um, and it's quite, it's yeah, it's 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 quite gamey, um, but it's, yeah, it's quite tasty actually. Mm. I've yeah. tried it. For me, it was very much like chicken. It's got a bit of a gamier taste than chicken. But, yeah, it's very, yeah. Definitely. Uh, look, Liz, when we were pulling together your intro uh, yesterday for this show, uh, we find, found it really difficult to really um, summarise your career and who you are in two sentences. So we were hoping we could begin this with you actually explaining who is Liz Jones uh, and okay. tell us your Thanks, story. Natalie. Um, so it was just interesting. So look, I'll kick off. So I'm um, I'm a mother of three. I suppose that's my most important role in life and I've got three daughters. Um, And so I suppose being a role model to my daughters and, you know, sort of showing them what you can do in life and what you can achieve and 
you know, people say you can't have it all and I think there are compromises in life, but I think you can have your dreams and you can have your goals. So, so you know, a lot of what I do, I do for my girls and I'm very proud of them. Um, so I've been in the business world my whole life. I've studied marketing, which is my tradition, um, and I sort of worked for a lot of different businesses in the marketing discipline, basically went largely industrial marketing as opposed to FMCG marketing, really loved B2B, really loved manufacturing, being able to have tan things that we make. So went straight really into manufacturing marketing and then had uh, my first daughter and thought, you know, I was 30 and I was still quite young in my career. I actually worked at Laminex. I know you've had Justin Burgess, Burgess on the on the, on the the show. Um, I worked at Laminex for five years and I ended up being the marketing manager there. So that was really quite a big part of my career for quite a number of years. Um, then I had my eldest daughter and I decided that I wanted to be at home with her um, and I wanted to be at home with my kids a large amount of the time. So I had to really step back from my career ambitions as a full-time corporate person and think about, well, how can I get fulfillment at work while still being able to be around for my girls? So that sort of led me into consulting. I started consulting for a number of um, Australia's big businesses, both in, in building, construction and retail. And I, my first big consulting gig was at Mitre 10 and I was uh, worked with them on the the their Mitre 10 mega format where they're putting that down. So that was, you know, well, Jordan's almost 21 now, so that was a good 20 years ago. So started off consulting, worked across a number of different businesses, which just gave me really good diversity, really good variety, understanding different businesses, their problems, their challenges. And I was quite a hands-on uh, consultant. <clears throat> you know, I'd get into the business, get involved with the people, get involved with the business problems. Um, and I did consulting for probably about 15 years. Um, and I went back to do a law degree after I had my third daughter because um, I was quite keen to study again. So um, my law degree took me seven years. So I had the three kids, I was studying law and I had my consulting. And so, yeah, it was quite a big, a big juggling act. And then sort of once Eliza got to school and I'd finished my degree, I thought, you know, I, I was quite keen to get back into sort of the corporate world or the, the sort of the, the, a more formal um, business role and um, worked with uh, Gus at Gerard Lighting and took on an, an executive general management um, position there, managing a group of small lighting businesses in a, in a sort of a portfolio structure and at the same time joined board at Lotus and then came on um, to into Lotus as the CEO and sort of stepped off the board was we we felt the business was growing very rapidly and it just needed a little bit more guidance and support. So that's sort of how I've landed uh, where I've landed. Um, you know, I am in the building and construction industry. I am a female in, a, in quite a male-dominated world. So people are probably going to think today, oh, here we go, you know, we've got a female CEO who's going to talk about women in leadership and diversity of women and all that stuff. And, and look, I suppose my topic today is talk a little bit more broadly about diversity um, and to, you know, reflect upon my own story and, and what I've been able to achieve at Lotus with bringing diversity to the forefront. And it's not the male-female thing. Um, you know, it might have been a long time ago and it's not to say that that's not still important, but that's really just, as Gut said yesterday, the level one, you know, the entry to the game, the basics, it's really about diversity is so much bigger than that. It's it's diversity of experience, diversity of thinking um, and thought and um, how do you bring that into a business um, to really create a very high-performing outcome. So that's sort of what I'd like to talk about today, which is probably a little bit different to what people might be thinking of um, the diversity sort of uh, topic. And... and, and, and- and that's the key for today pod, uh, today live show and podcast where a lot of people talk about diversity and how diversity can drive yeah. performance. Uh, when I have a chat with you and, you know, three of us have a chat about how deep a diversity can actually go to improve your performance and you actually bring it to the topic of diversity of finding answers from different opinions I think that's the core of success. You know, the, the, the world moves so yeah. quickly. And if you think what you know yeah. yesterday can give the answer for tomorrow yeah. today, uh, I think it's false. And I think the topic today, uh, without stealing your thunder, very important for a lot yeah, of Yeah, um, I just want to be able to talk, I suppose Gus exactly right. I mean, 
things are moving at such a rapid pace. You know, businesses are, are being disrupted and compromised and challenged on so many fronts. And and so how do we, you know, how do we deal with that in, in a business environment? And, um, you know, sometimes when you're a really small to medium-sized business and you don't have access to the resources or, you you know, you don't necessarily have access to um, you think you might need to solve a business problem. How can you actually, through internal and external stakeholders and through embracing diversity of thinking, solve some of those more complex business processes without having to go and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on consultants or hiring high-powered leadership teams, which may not be appropriate or affordable. So there are lots of different things you can deploy within a small to medium-sized business around diversity to solve complex problems. Oh, I love this because remember, Liz, I'm a noodle shop owner today. So, you know, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, trying to drive performance is uh, I'm just literally unable to do that. So, Matt, um, back to you for... Yeah, look, you know, Liz, you're described as a values-based leader. How would you say you've incorporated or have you been able to incorporate your own values? Um, yeah, I mean, I Lotus think um, we, there were some values in place, obviously, when I started. Um, and, you know, I did quite a lot of one-on-ones when I started and asked people about the values and what was really clear early on that they didn't really resonate um, with people and they didn't, they were, you know, they yeah. were, there was nothing wrong with them, but they didn't really resonate with me either. And I'm a bit of a believer that when you as the leader, your leadership philosophy and your personal values are intrinsically linked to the way you lead and therefore they're intrinsically linked to the the values you want in your business, right? It's never you're never going to have values in your business that are at odds with your own values. So, so I went through a process of understanding my own values, and then once I was able to articulate those, I was able to bring them forward um, into the business. And we did a lot of work with Brené Brown. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Brené's. I think she's done some amazing work um, around you know leadership. Um, and how we need braver leaders in the world and we need to be having tough conversations and we need to be able to, you know, have the courage and the strength to deal with issues and, and have the tough conversations around a table and the constructive debates. And that's why you need the diverse thinking because that's how you, you solve problems. Um, so, yeah, so we went through a process of me understanding my own values, which is courage and faith, and then I've taken my two values of courage and faith into the organisation um, through our sort of set of values and, and guiding behaviours and principles that we sort of all operate under. Liz, I have a question for you. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people saying culture beats strategy yeah. for breakfast, which is, which is you know, it's come from, uh, I think, uh, I, I totally agree with that. And when we talk about culture, culture is not sit independently there is a values inside of a culture to the extent when I'm really thinking about it, uh, you know, when, when we are doing a hiring process, uh, you know, a lot of people said, oh, let's do, let's make sure that it's culturally yeah. fit. Now, my, uh, my challenge about trying to hire for culture fit, how do you know that the culture fit for the global movement that required to make sure organization can last for a long time. And when we talk about culture, as we discussed yesterday, culture also built by values. What's your view? Culture fit? Values fit? Uh, what's your view around this? Yeah, topic? I mean, I think that um, we've done some work ar- around this recently at Lotus where we looked at the different archetypes of culture. You know, there's one team, there's performance-based cultures, there's customer-centric cultures, and and we sort of defined what archetypes, sort of two main archetypes we felt we needed to, to deliver the strategy. And one of the things I've learned about culture, and I've gone on a huge journey around it because we've gone through so much cultural tr- transformation, is it, you have to have quite a deliberate strategy culture. It just doesn't happen, right? You've got to, it's what you say, it's what you do, it's what you don't say, it's how you behave, it's it's a, the decisions you make. It's what you spend time on. It's all those symbols and and sort of nuances of um, leadership behaviours that drive culture. So you have to have quite a deliberate strategy. It just doesn't happen itself. You have to know what your strategy is and you have to have a deliberate plan to align your culture to the strategy so that you can actually get achieve the strategy because if, if you don't have the right culture, you won't. And we look at values as a subset of culture. 
So it's, it's, there's lots of other things, but it's the, the values drive behaviours which support the archetypal culture that you want. So, so that's Thank how you. I saw it, see it fitting, Gus. It's sort of like can, if you hire for values and your values are aligned to the culture that you want to create, then fundamentally you're hiring for cultural fit anyway, right? And, and we all know that we want, you know, culture's a bit of a, it's a journey. It's, it's not, it's a living organism that's constantly evolving and changing. It's set in stone. So, you know, the culture we have today might not be exactly where we want it to be. We're always aspiring to develop and enhance our culture, which is the right thing. So, um, again, if you hire for values, you're higher and they're about taking your culture forward, then ultimately that's, it's, there's going to be a fit there. Yeah. And can I just ask, so, you know, I'm representing small business. So let's say, you know, I'm looking to um, hire three new uh, content writers. You know, we're going from the start local, um, go global mindset. So, you know, if anyone wants any more information, episode two is all about that. Um, What, and I'm starting to recruit, what signs am I looking for if I'm looking for someone to actually be a great cultural fit within elite words uh, is there something that we can look out for to make it easier as you know a leader recruiting so for what a we team? what we do is that we have the interview process um we do values-based uh, interviews so we, we know what our values are and then we have a series of questions around those values um that enable us to assess um, how 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 aligned people are to those values, and where through the interview process and through the candidate assessment process, we are very overt in our values, and we say, look, this is what we stand by, and if you don't feel that's for you, that's absolutely fine. But that's this that's this is the organisation for you, right? If you're not prepared to have tough conversations, if you're not prepared to put the customer first and understand that that is what we're about. Um, you know, and you're not you're not prepared to take care of yourself and others, then this is the organisation for you. And, you know, so we, we're very clear about it up front and we have a series of questions that help us assess the candidate against, against those values. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, we were talking before about your business, Natalie, before and about having that, that fundamental family feeling and that family connection. And so it's about, well, what do you stand by and what are your values and then how can you test that through questioning techniques um, with candidates? And you might have a great candidate technically, but if they're not, they're not aligned to the values, then they're not going to, it's never, ever, ever going to work, right? Ever going to work. I second that. That's great. Yeah, and, and Gus, Peerlight, you know, um, over their values obviously is very much a focus of everything. And I, do you see yourself as a values-based leader as well? Um, uh, value-based leader uh, is, a, is actually very difficult to execute because it's actually evolving and we, we need to be very consistent and disciplined to our own values. And when we talk about values, we can't actually talk values in organization, but different at yeah. home. Hence the process at Peerlight, when we actually come with our values, we actually cover the whole countries in three countries in the development of our values, which is for us, uh, we, we really take this seriously because that's built our culture. Uh, but coming back to your question, well, I strive to lead with mm. our values, right? Uh, are we 100% mm. all the time as a human being? Look, depending on the day, just like everyone else, mm. I guess, uh, we can we can fall. But the best thing that can happen is this, in my personal opinion. If we empower each other to develop our values to be part of our culture, then when we fall, and that could be the CEO falling as well on those values, we got surround, We are surrounded by people that holding us accountable against the values that we strive for. So yes, I would like to think that I, I'm strongly, uh, you know, value-based leaders, but to say that I'm 100% all the time, I think it will be false. Uh, but I'm very lucky that the team will just catch me and say, hey, one of the values at Peerlight is being courageous. Now, we just ask you a question, Gus, and you block us. Well, how can we be courageous? Uh, Gus, one of the values is being passionate. 
uh, well, you look like, you know, blocking this. So, so I think how you actually make everyone involved in the values, just uh, it's important from what Liz saying, from the start of the recruiting process, Liz already instill the values and introduce the values, not to say that we are having the best values, but this is where we want to go and the people need to know in mm. advance. Yes. I mean, yeah. yeah, sorry. Yes, yeah, just it, to start, it, it, I think that's yeah, exactly sorry. a minute. You know, we're all human. We're, you know, we're not perfect. Um, and part of, you know, but I mean, I think the values is the thing. It's the truth. It's the thing that I always anchor. And when I feel a bit off or I'm not quite right, it's because I'm usually out of step with my values, right? It's usually that I'm not keeping the faith and I'm not, I'm not being courageous, right? I'm, I'm not making tough decisions or I'm not having the tough conversations or I'm not challenging myself. And, and so often we know they're, they're the sort of our inner truth, our values. And, and it's not to say that we don't step away from those from time and we need help to come back to them. Um, but it's, yeah, I think if you're really clear up front with what you stand for, and it's a really easy exercise, values. There's a lot of tools and resources available to small to medium-sized business, Natalie, online. You know, Brené even Brown on her um, website has got lots of tools available for organisations to do values-based workshops with staff so they can help identify individual values and organisational values. And it's a really good thing to do. It's very simple to do. It does help you understand each other and it helps you understand what you want for the business, and it does provide a beacon. The values to me are the guiding beacon. Um, and when everything yes. else is going, you know, not quite right, and that's a lot of that happening at the moment with COVID, is what, what you can stay true to is the values. And that's what we say at Lotus all the time at the moment. Guys, we can't control what's going on in the world. We can't control what's happening with COVID. But what we can control is how we respond and how we behave and how how we live by our values and how we look after our customers. And that's that's what's in our control. Um, so they do provide, I find, an anchor and a bit of a beacon. Yeah. And that, from, from my view, because I engage with you uh, comprehensively in the building of Leader Talk, uh, you know, it's... It's really pleasing to see you keep, you know, you are a small business. Uh, you are a, a, a business where uh, we strive to grow and you are talking about values. And yes. I think, and I'm interested in Liz's uh, uh, input on this, values, building values and culture is not only for certain size of organization. Even if you are a one person, like I'm a noodle shop with two person. I'm the chef, one is the counter, and the other one is the kitchen hand. Well, we need to even have a stronger values and culture to drive the business. And I think what you do without you realizing it, and I'm sure you realize this because you're searching for this, uh, that you drive that. And I think this is important for everyone because the word culture, fit, values, it sounds mega business, yet... It's not about that. It's about the foundation of growing your organization. An organization can be seen when you have a thousand people. You know, two people are make up of a foundation. Every company starts with one person, right? At at one point. Yeah. And I and when you believe in your values, and I think I was fortunate in you know, starting my own business when it came to formulating, you know, what are my values? They were what defined me as a person. So I don't actively have to think about the values. I live them every day because it is who I am. So, and you know, we've worked with um, businesses on projects and they don't have values and we've actually developed these for them, you know, starting from their mission, their, their vision, their mission and their values. And it is, it, you know, we do have the values, but there's so many businesses out there that don't actually have values. So if there was something that we could tell them, you know, in one, you know, the best piece of advice, what would it be for those that actually don't have values? What are they missing out on? Well, I How think important that, as you said this? before, I think the values, and, and, I, and I don't, and I agree with Gus, it's not complicated to do and it's not whether you're, Turnover is fifty thousand a year or five hundred thousand a year. Um, at the end of the day, you know the values are the beacon; they're the guiding light, and and people need to feel a purpose when they come to work, regardless of what they. And the yes. values also provide a sense of purpose, 
um, and they do provide that that grounding and that foundation. Um, and it's and it does come from a leader. And it, quite frankly, you know, there's a lot of academic values building, you know, workshops and you know, getting hundreds of people around and. You know, I didn't do any of that with my values. I mean, I was I defined my values. I then defined what I thought the organisational values would be, and I took that to the leadership team, and we mess we massaged it and we flexed it. But ultimately, it came from me, right? Because you know, I'm the leader, and then if it got to be aligned to who I am, and so if you are a small to medium sized business owner or leader, I think the first starting point is yourself, and what do you want? to create in your organisation? What do you want to be known for? What do you want to stand by? What do you want your purpose to be? And how do you want the values to align around that? Uh, and it's got, to, it's got to come from within. But it's very simple and it's really easy to do. And once it's done, I think it's a, it's a really great way of anchoring everybody and aligning everybody around a common purpose. Liz, can I also add um, back to the initial topic that you want to bring around diversity? Yeah. Uh, uh, it's funny, right? When when I, when we tease this, uh, you know, uh, Liz Jones coming to our leader talk uh, to discuss how diversity drives performance. Uh, well, diversity is like what you said many many times is beyond beyond uh, men yeah. and women, yeah. right? Beyond that, while it's still needed, um, and that's also a values. So while we're talking about the yeah. values. Um, can you elaborate around uh, around that further? So, we, so uh, because this is so important, isn't it? Uh, to really connecting it between diversity, values, culture, and the culture we're talking about is open minds, getting inputs. Uh, you know, be very, very, uh, you know, uh, acceptable to different opinions, and which is a lot of people talk about it. But in my opinion, in my experience, it's hard to yeah. execute. Especially when ego in place. Yeah. yeah, ego. That's another one of my favorite books, actually. A woman called Cy Wakeman. She wrote a book called No Ego, and it's um, it's fantastic. It's a really simple read. She does lots of TED talks as well. But um, yeah, ego, ego is wow. a, a really dangerous thing in business, unfortunately, uh, Gus. Um, it, it exists quite a bit, but it's quite dangerous and quite inhibiting for businesses in terms of um, becoming values-based businesses or or high-performing businesses. Um, look, I think just on the diversity thing, for me, um, you know, and I look at the leadership team I've got at Lotus and the diversity we've got there and we've got people from different countries, people from different backgrounds, um, different educational experiences, working in different businesses. Um, and what I find it brings is a very rigorous, robust discussion because um, the way that people think on the team is really quite different, right? We've got you know, really lateral, innovative thinkers. We've got quite pragmatic thinkers who are quite task-focused. Like we've got, so to, to me, the, the, the diversity comes in the way people work, the way people think, and and and, the, and obviously their experiences have shaped a lot of that, right, and their values have shaped, their own personal values have shaped the way they think and the way they work through things. So that's where I have found diversity has had its most most value at Lotus in terms of coming together and working together to solve complex problems. Um, I'm not sure that's answering your question, Gus, but yeah, I think that it's it's the it's interesting to watch the motivations of different people and the way you know the, the, how they've grown up in their life and the experiences they've had as a child and as they've grown up. And you yourself, Gus, look at the experiences that you've had in terms of, you know, you coming to Australia and getting yourself educated. And, you know, I think that really shapes people's motivations and shapes, you know, how they think about things and how they see things. And that's what I love about diversity because that's that's really interesting when you're getting people in a room that are just coming from things in very different ways. And we can all hire our, you know, I'll hire that person because they're like me and they're going to think like me, yeah. that's really an easy hiring decision because it's not going to be threatening or confronting or challenging because, you know, we're all just going to sit around. But that doesn't, that doesn't work, right? It's, it's, it's comfortable, um, but you've got to have the constructive tension. You've got to have the debates. Um, you've got to be prepared to have those tough conversations and get the different level of thinking. And that's where I've seen diversity just is so powerful. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I spoke to Nat uh, many, many times. I said, you know, in real life, my hobby is cooking noodles. That That's yeah. actually my real life uh, hobby. And uh, I always make an example. What would happen if I actually own a noodle shop? And I said to Nat, and what would happen if I start, say, say I have a noodle shop and most of the, uh, let's call it Japanese noodle shop, most of the menu will be the same. But what would happen if I put Italian flavor? You know, instead of putting the same type of meat in every noodle shop, we start putting Italian meatballs on a Japanese mm. ramen. And yes, it sounds crazy, but I think, isn't it, Nat? We talk about even the thinking yeah. of thing. that. Be able to be courageous, like what you say, mm. Liz, to actually accept opinion about, so what's wrong if we put Italian meatballs on a Chinese noodle or a Japanese noodle? Well, no one tried, maybe. But if you want to have an edge mm. on a business, being courageous on the thinking, I'm not even talking about the execution, mm. is it? We're talking about how do we brave enough to accept differences mm. to the extent of just talking. And you will be surprised how many people already have a three-hour debate just because such a simple ideas. And if we can bring an input like what you said to us, Liz, in the last one week, hey, the diversity that we talk about is, there's a lot of things, but if you want to be successful, be open to diversity of opinions. Yeah, For me, it's just totally, gold. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, and, you know, if you're a small to medium-sized business, you might think, well, I've got 15 employees, you know, I don't, I can't afford people that have worked in bigger businesses with all this. It doesn't matter, right? It's, it's, it's um, you know, we on our factory floor, for example, right? We've got amazing guys that have worked on our floor for one, two years, up to 15 years. We've got a guy who's worked for 30 years. And they work on the product every day. They're building our walls. They, they, they're working with our systems, our processes, our products, our parts. And they know, right, they've got such amazing ideas and they've got such different thinking. And the guy that's been here two years is 25 versus the guy who's been here 30 years and is almost 60. Like getting those guys together and, you know, being able to, you know, talk to them about improvement and different ideas and concepts, that's that's a, embracing diversity, right? That's that's embracing diversity because, you know, Peter Elkington has got a completely different view. He's been here for 30 years, Craig, right? So, you know, but they both bring different thinking and it's not to say, well, because he's been here 30 years, his, his opinion's more important than Craig's he's been here two years. Um but if you can look into your business and don't be don't be surprised at where stuff comes from. It probably sometimes the the greatest ideas, the greatest thinking, and the greatest diversity thinking comes from the people that you least expect it to come from. So you know, if you're a leader, um, talk to your people and talk to your customers. Right? Um, you know, if if you want to know ideas and you want to be able to improve your business, there's plenty of things you can do with the resources available to you. But it's about engagement and it's about being open to different ideas and opinions that might be different to what, what your bias thinking might actually be. And, and to the extent I'm quite surprised, my son, Ryland, uh, worked as an intern for Natalie. And he's only turning 15. And, uh, you know, he'll, uh, and, and Natalie said to me, I said to, he, to her, at uh, 15 years old, what what can he do? Like, I mean, uh, what can and Natalie said he can do a lot for yeah. my business. He will be able to share a view from the from the lens right. of a 15 yeah. years old that our business might never see. And I, I'm just yeah. you know I'm just thinking how diverse. Like you know, like I I still don't believe it. And Nat actually produced content with uh, with my son. Uh, doesn't matter how simple it was, but uh, it's just incredible. Net, you actually live with this without the word diversity uh, thinking. You actually expressing it correctly in my in my view. Net. Thanks, Gus. But I, for me, this is actually a new term. I have to admit, when I think of diversity, I think of exactly mm. what you said at the beginning, Liz: gender, race. You know, it's, and so. 
this diversity of opinion, diversity of ideas, diversity of thought, it's really got me thinking, you know, we don't, I didn't consciously realize I was doing that. It's just, you know, the values that we live, we believe in empowerment and we don't believe that we can't do things. We empower each other to deliver. And that's exactly what is the situation with Rylan. And, you know, I'll give you an example. Instagram, Elite Words didn't use Instagram. It was not something that I was comfortable or familiar with, but I have an incredible team. So I put the, you know, the shout out, who actively uses Instagram? The ones that do put their hand up and they drive that engagement there. It's not me holding it up because I don't, you know, I'm not the active Instagram user, but they are. And it's about that empowerment, the ideas, they get together, they collaborate, they bring different ideas together and they drive it. So it's just a different way of thinking. It's very powerful though. I think if you can, um, and look, you've got to create, you know, you can't sort of, it can't play lip service to this sort of stuff. You can't sit there and go, yeah, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a diverse leader. I'm interested in what everybody thinks. I'm into diversity opinion and then create an environment where people don't feel psychologically safe to express that diversity opinion, right? Because, you know, one of the, one of the ways that people will express and be open to expressing ideas is if they feel safe to do so and they feel heard. So, you know, you actually put put your money where your mouth is and put your actions on this and, act, and actually, you know, really authentically own this in order for it to work. But if you can, if you can open your mind to it and, you know, we have to be, as leaders, we have to be continually open-minded and learning. The world is moving at such rapid yes. pace. It's changing. You know, we need to we need to move. We need. To, I think the word at the moment is pivot, pivot here, pivot there. You know, agility has never been more critical. And you know, we don't have all the answers, and we need help. And unless we're prepared to to look to our people, our customers, um, our our you know colleagues to get that help, then um, we won't. You won't survive, right? You need you to be able to embrace it and and authentically embrace it by creating a culture and an environment where people feel that they they can speak up. And we had lots of challenges of that here, my goodness, right? We've, we've had to work very hard on it, and I don't think we're there yet, encouraging people to speak up without fear of getting into trouble or without fear of being critical. I don't want to say because I don't want to be critical. It's like, hey, we're all adults here, right? Um, let's just get out on the table and talk about the problem. And, and um, you know, it's not about criticising, it's about, it's about talking about the issue and and not the person and trying to get people to, to to get to that stage is quite difficult. People need to feel that they're really in a safe environment to do so. Liz, I have a another question from a different angle. You know, when we talk about culture values, you know, it's very warm, right? Like, like I love this topic because it's actually start your day with something kind, yeah, yet. Business. I'm a noodle shop. I have 200 ball to sell today. Performance is matter. Your business need performance. We are in a very unkind situation with whatever happened yeah. in the world, wherever you look at it. Especially just to make a context of COVID, for yeah. example, performance is still very yeah. important. Now, so my question is, how do you keep so so understanding your values, your culture? How do you keep? the performance mindset and execution yeah. execution on top of your game uh, while still, you know, be able to work on the, the soft part, you know, the yeah. soft skills of, uh, uh, of the people. Yeah, I think it's really tricky balance, right? Um, because sometimes when we build really strong personal connections as leaders, you know, we can find it hard to have tough performance discussions because we've developed this personal connection. Um, and so, you know, our desire to be connected with people on a more intimate, personal basis in the workplace, we know that's very powerful. Um, and to your point, Gus, you know, when you go there, then, then, then how do you have a really tough conversation around someone where performance isn't there? And I think what I've learned is actually having that personal connection with somebody um, and having that intimate connection, and I don't mean in the literal sense, obviously, but having personal connection, intimate connection with somebody that you work with or works for you 
is the one is the most powerful basis in which to have a tough performance discussion because there should be high levels of trust because that's how trust is built. Um, and so that actually, it might feel a little bit uncomfortable because you've got this connection, um, but actually that gives you a, a, a very good platform which to deal with performance issues if they do exist. Um, so, you know, I don't, yeah, I, know I might feel like, oh, but I, I really like this guy and I've got a good friendship with him and a good relationship with him, and, and, but his numbers are terrible and I've got to talk to him about them. How do I do it? Actually, that's a perfect way to do it. And one of the things that I've been working on is performance-based coaching with the leadership team. Um, so I, I'm, a le- a coach, I'm a leader as a coach. So my role is to coach, not to necessarily performance manage and, you know, tell them what to do. And so I've been implementing monthly coaching sessions where we sit down and we talk about performance, but it's in a way of, okay, what's not working? Why is it not working? What do you think you could be doing about it? And using coaching techniques to address performance issues. Um, And that drives a lot of accountability back to the individual as well because they actually have to sit there and think through, okay, well, what am I need to focus on? What's not? And I'm there to coach and help them. And that's been a really powerful shift for me in terms of how performance manage the leadership team. It's less with a sort of a, a really rigid performance management environment and more yeah. of a coaching um, sort of style, which I found to be very powerful. Yeah. And then can I, can I ask like- you a question as well? Because, um, yeah, sure. you know, when we talk about, you know, KPIs, performance-based discussion, yeah. quarterly review, monthly review, whatever businesses want to talk about, uh, we have resources. Uh, I have resources. Lisa, uh, you, mom, uh, three young children, <laughs> staff. Uh, do you do a hard performance uh, conversation with your team, which is still based on your values? How do you do it? And how important do you think that small business is doing? Oh, look, I think it is important. You do have to have those um, those hard discussions and they are hard. And I think that's sometimes the hardest part of being a leader, um, having those tough discussions. But for us, it's about, you know, setting ourselves goals and then meeting to see how much we have achieved in that given time frame. So it's about setting things that are achievable. And if we haven't achieved them, then we look at what why we haven't. For example, COVID, you know, COVID's thrown a lot of it um you know, sideways and upside down. And when we do have these tough discussions, we're going to have to reevaluate because I find that we were giving ourselves setting KPIs on a yearly basis, where in fact, we're now going to have to do it a lot sooner. But in saying that, it's one of those things because we're constantly trying to deliver and deliver and we don't have the resources, it's not something that's on the forefront all the time and something that I'm consciously thinking of. Yeah. If that yeah, answers, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's a tough one. We don't have the resources, yeah. so we have to do it, but it's not something that I think about every day or have the ability to have, like what you said, Liz, um, sit in monthly coaching sessions, which I just mm. think is fantastic. Um, I, You know, my next question to you, Liz, was going to be, you know, you invest so much time in your team and you know, I do the same, that I actually don't really have much time for myself. How do you actually make that time? And that kind of will help me guide how we actually have these tough discussions because I do struggle to find time for myself. It is very hard. You want to grow your team um, and you don't actually have that time for yourself. So how do you grow as a leader and how do you set that time for yourself? Because I find it very difficult as a small business owner. I I think I was saying to you guys earlier in the week, you know, I think that um, we've been talking a lot about employee wellbeing through COVID, but um, I talk to a lot of colleagues that are leaders and and regardless of whether you're leading a small, medium or large business at the moment, um, you know, it's a lot of leadership fatigue at the moment around COVID. You know, you're set off on a path and then, no, you're not on that path anymore because, something's happened, something's changed and, and there's a lot of time spent 
scenario planning, readjusting, reforecasting, replanning, re-goal setting, and and it's it's exhausting. Um, and then you're trying to, you know, I look at my 155 people at Lotus is somewhat my family, my children. So you're managing, you know, the well-being of 155 people and the implications that they're having with their family, and then you've got your own family at home and your, you know, your children and. So, yeah, I've, I've found that, you know, having to find time to look after myself um, and create space for me to spend time thinking about the business, you know, thinking about um, where we're at and, and, and time in lots of different planning scenarios around different what might, what might happen uh, is pretty important and I think it's got to be really disciplined in carving out the time. Um, but for me recently, you know, we're back into another lock in Victoria and it's really tough tough going. I've seen the strain this time round. I think I've read some statistics that Melbourne is soon to be the, the city, the biggest the city in the world with the long lockdown, um, which is, you know, really taking its toll on Melburnians. They're very, very fatigued and conf- confronted by this. So I think is a, you've got to stay positive for your business and your people and your family and kids at home. My kids are struggling too. So I've really got back into exercise I've got back into getting a routine in my life, um, you know, instead of, you know, really having some structured time to exercise. And I know, Gus, that, that this is a big part of your life as well um, with, with your walking. And I think, you know, I know you're probably not doing yoga like you used to, but I'm sure you're getting to the time. But, yeah. yeah, just kind of looking, <laughs> looking after my own health. Thank you, Liz. Now the whole world knows I'm doing yoga, so <laughs> thank you. You're a young we'll come back to that, Gus. But, yeah, I mean, it's important to look after yourself physically and mentally as well. Um, I've got, you know, I've got a little yeah. routine that was given to me. So I do sort of five minutes of some sort of breathing exercises every morning. It's sort of not, it's quite dynamic sort of, I wouldn't call it meditation, but just a ways of managing stress and, and making sure that I can stay centred and calm and grounded so that the rest of the business can sort of feed off that a little bit. Um, so that's yeah. Look, it's it's really hard mm-hmm. going, Natalie. Looking after yourself and all the all the juggling priorities that we face. And no disrespect, us, but as women, and this is why I love the wife book. You know, um, we do carry a lot of the emotional support for our children as well. It's just we're just mum, right? It's just the way it is, you know. And um, yeah. you know, we we do carry a lot of that, and that in addition to businesses or doing whatever we do it's it's quite a big it's quite a big you know responsibility i want to say it I is want, i want to share yeah. something with uh both of you here a uh, few months ago i spoke to uh dino pane dino pane bianco is the regional general manager for my business in perth and i spoke to her wife rita and i don't know how the conversation rita said something that stick with me today that I think is very important for everyone to understand this concept. This is what she said to me. Gus, remember, you need to fight like a woman. And I said, sorry, Rita, you need to fight like a woman. You know, this concept of fighting like a man is actually false. And remember, Rita is a teacher. Rita is a teacher, not in mm. business and, or organization, even though school is organization. And I actually say to her, What do you mean by that, Rita? This is what it means. Look at moms. Doesn't matter if she has flu, she has challenges, crying, hungry. She will do the job. And and what she said to me was, the issue with men is we do the job when we're not crying. And the whole thing about right now is we need to continue and we need to fight. And the only way we can do that is if we're being true. And she said to me that being like a mom, being like a woman, and this is nothing about topic of diversity. This is just a conceptual thinking that, hey, mm. it's okay to cry. It's okay to actually say you are tired, but do it like a mom. Because when they say they're tired, they still look after the children, yeah. like you too, right? <laughs> you know, I always make a joke about uh, Natalie, Natalie's husband, Jared, is my partner behind the scene preparing all this. And I always make a joke to Jared, Jared, what exactly you do? Because the three children, <laughs> <laughs> like before the, before the leader talk, just, Liz, you said, 
15 minutes before this little talk, Natalie feeding the baby. And Jared and me having a chat. Oh, this is exciting. We need to fight yeah. like a woman. And that's actually, uh, you know, that's I really, really learned. So Rita, if you uh watching this, do you know if you're watching this, I, I'm very thankful with this concept because, and I hope the audience do not take this in the wrong concept. I'm talking about the ability of mom, of yeah. like Yulis, three yeah. children, going to the thing, challenges, key performance. No one, mm. you know. And, and yeah. I think I said on the teaser, you know, my yeah. kids, I mean, they're, they're very proud of me and they understand that I have responsibilities at work, but at the end of the day, I'm mum, right? And so um, when I step in the door and, you know, and, and all three of mine in, are in various emotional states at the moment with these lockdowns um, and they tend to ebb and flow and on any given day is a particular emotional issue with one of them, which is completely fine and normal, um, but, you know, you've sort of got to be able to adjust to that and, you know, you might have had an, a big day working with, you know, might have been a big day at work dealing with the challenges with the business through these times and then you've got to go home and deal with it, with the challenges with the kids at home. And, yeah, it's really tough. And I'm sure I am by far not the only person in Australia at the moment that's having to, to deal with that. Um, um, this is, yep. this is and not, not just even Australia, universal. There's been lots of people. I, I consider myself to be very lucky because I can still work. Which is which is gives me an amazing sense of purpose and accomplishment that I can get up in the morning. I can still come into the office and catch up with the factory guys, and that gives me great connection to the business. And so I'm very very lucky. I you know in terms of this, I don't for a second doubt that there are people out there that um, are, are really in a, in a much more difficult position, and I, and I really feel for them. And, and I hope that we'll be through the, the worst of this soon for them. Yeah, and just to add, Liz, you know, for um, the juggling act I is definitely very real and the way I see it, and I mentioned this in one of our previous discussions, you know, there was a there was a time in my life when I went, my goodness, what am I doing? Young, ch I've got three children, 10, 8, and an 8-month-old, running elite words, having to be mum. Yeah. Now we're homeschooling. Yeah. You've still got to run the household. Then, you know, it's never-ending. And it was all really hard and it was a lot. And um, it's then when my husband, Jared, said to me, you know, he brought in this riding the wave concept. He goes, you know, you need to choose. Do you want to ride it out? Do you want to just yeah. stop? Because you have a choice and you will, if you stop, you know, you stop swimming, you're going to sink in really quickly. And I thought, you know, I've done, you know, I've got worked so hard to get here and, you know, I want to be a wonderful mum and that's what I do every day. I, when something does get tough, I just think of this wave and it's something so simple, but I do it all the time. And I'm like, I'm just riding the waves there, you know, there's the juggling of homeschooling. This morning was book week. So we had to get book week costumes, you know, ready by nine o'clock and it's all a juggling act, but you just, you just embrace it and you just continue writing. And that's what I do everywhere, every yeah, day and I think to get through it. got to live in the moment, right? Um, and I, I was um, I was yep. listening to um, Jim Collins, and he spoke about you know um, the concept of facing the brutal truth, right? But but keeping the faith. Right? So the brutal truth is we are in lockdowns. We these are very oppressive for our children. They are impacting all of us in different ways. Um, there is a you know a lot going on, um, and a lot of people dealing with a lot of strain. It will pass right um you know it will pass when and and how not sure but we it will go, it will pass and um and that's what you know that's why we've just got to keep that that fighting principle and that faith and and just stay in the moment day by day day by day and I think that's part of your ride in the wave you know it, it, there's ups and downs through the whole this whole thing and you've just got to just got to go on the journey a bit and not fight it um and I had this conversation with my 20 year old who was you know she was She's just such a positive kid. Like, she's amazing. But this latest lockdown, she just said, I just can't do it anymore, Mum. Like, I just I just have nothing left in me to be put. You know, I'm just, I'm, I've got up every day and battered myself up for 200 days of lockdown. I just, I just can't do it anymore. And I said, you know what, George, that's fine. Don't do it. And like, don't try and fight it. That's how you feel yeah. right now. Just feel it and just go with it. And, you know, maybe tomorrow you'll feel differently. Maybe tomorrow you won't. 
but just live in the moment and and just let it just let it wash over you and just ride as you say, Natalie, just ride the waves because that's all we can do at the moment is just is just go through the motions of riding the wave and and not give up because this will pass, right? It will. It's yeah. just these things yeah. in life, they come and they but they do pass. And in fact, two years is quite a short relative time for these sorts of major global upheavals, you know, and yeah, they do. They do pass. Yeah. Yeah. Liz, uh, Liz and Natalie, I have an interesting question here, and I, I, I'm interested in your answers here. So I'm a gas noodle shop in Melbourne. I only have three yeah. staff. I'm the chef. One is the guy that prepared the meat, and one is the girl that doing the. Uh, you know, uh, waiting in the counter, and the other one is uh, is helping me with with cooking. Now, two of the my employee uh, having a performance problem, uh, and today is the day that I want to talk to them. You know, just like what we talk that uh, we are running business, so performance is uh, is uh, is important. And one of my values is I'm bringing kindness into my small noodle shop. So I need to do it with respect and need to do it. Yet I know the minute I bring this up, being they young, uh, they will walk away, which means tonight I only have one employee and the other two walk away. How, start with Liz, what do you say to me uh, about you know from the angle of running an organization which is for me is a small noodle shop when I need to have a hard performance discussion yet I'm in challenge of having the people to replace because right now with the lockdown that happened you know even finding staff is mm. difficult and not everyone unfortunately can cook the best noodles and and want to work in the noodle shop so do I delay do I do I just okay? You know what? In the what? What should I do? You know. Uh, yeah. Look, it's a real tough one, and I don't. I think whether Gus's Noodle Shop or whether you're any business, you've always, you're always sometimes in these. Oh, but you know, we've got resource issues, but we know we've got performance issues or values <laughs> issues. But we want to hang on to that person because if they die, what are we going to do? I don't think yeah. anyone ever looks back and says. I wish I hadn't made that decision when they deal with performance or values alignment issues. I don't ever look back and go, I really shouldn't have done that. You always look back and go, that was the right thing to do. So I think if you do have, um, I think if you do have performance issues, you need to deal with them and you can't delay. That's the first thing. Um, And you need to do it in a way that's kind and respectful. Um, and And, you know, my view is, you always try and give the person the benefit of the doubt. So you ask yourself, have I set clear expectations? Do they know what's expected of them? Have I communicated to them when they're not meeting expectations? Is this going to come as a surprise? Because if someone, if a performance discussion comes as a complete surprise to, to a person, then that's an issue. So, so you might go through a bit of a step and challenge yourself, Gus. You might say, well, do these guys know that they really have to be here at 1 o'clock every day? Um, am I clear around break times? Yeah, yeah. Am I clear around how I expect them to talk to customers? And you might say, well, I'm actually not. So I'm going to set those expectations first and then I'm going to check in with them every fortnight and I'm going to monitor how they're going with those. And then at that point, if there's a consistent failure to meet the expectation with all my support, then I'm going to just deal with it because ultimately that person's not right for my business. And I may present a resource challenge. But you know what? I have to look after my business and I have to look after my customers and that person's really not the right fit. So I think you've got to make the tough calls. And as as Brene Brown says, we need more brave leaders, Gus. Um, We don't have enough brave leaders in the world and we're not prepared to make the tough calls and and it's hard, but that's part part of it. So that would be my recommendation. So, Liz, uh, yeah. if tonight my noodle shop closed, that's mean I'm actually do not have the two people yeah. out of the tree. Yes, What's will, your view, Gus? Yes, I will come and cook noodles with you. Gus, you need to well, open a noodle shop. Gus, there's noodles. I talk about noodle shop and kebab shop in every, every conversation. Doesn't matter where I, 
uh, what medium I will have one one day. I just love these two cuisines in my life. So uh, how about yeah. you, Nat? What happened? You are a perfect yeah, just Look, I am very fortunate. I have a great team. So if something was out, if they weren't performing and something was out of character, yes. I have to look yes. at the bigger context um, because, you know, they are so great. So if I see that someone's not performing the way they should, there's something there, you know, whether it's personal, whether it's the current lockdown situation, mental health, you know, mental health is a big one at the moment there's something there. So we would have to have that discussion. I wouldn't fight for me. That wouldn't be a tough discussion because I am very close to all of them. So it would be a matter of working out what the issue is in that sense. But I haven't had to have a tough discussion like what you've said, Liz, and um, I've learned a lot from that about being a tough leader, definitely. But, you know, I've been fortunate in the sense that the team are great. So um, it would have to be contextual for me. I'd have to actually see what's going on and, and just I looking at it from a bigger picture. absolutely appropriate. And I think in a smaller business um, where you do have greater visibility and you can put your arms around it and you do have a bit of a read yeah. on where people are at. And if there is something that's completely out of character or something that's really not consistent with how this person's performed before, then I think it is appropriate to say, look, can we just have a check in? I've noticed that these two or three things have been slipping. Is everything okay? Is everything okay at home? Is there anything I can do to help? Is 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 there anything that's concerning you? Because you know I've noticed a bit of a change. Um, I think there's systemic performance issues which are ongoing, and you've got to deal with them. Um, you know, the worst thing you can do with a consistently underperforming person or a person that's consistently not living the values is to ignore it. Because it's not just it's it's not good for personal, but it, everybody around those that person sees that and goes, well, how come that's not getting dealt yes. with? Why is that person not getting dealt with? Yeah. So it undermines the the, the organisation's ability to do to deal with that. But I think yeah, if there's if there's something in out of the blue, you've got to say to yourself, well, is is you've got to take a, a more holistic contextual approach and and just do a check-in with the person and see if everything's okay. So I think it's really just about the nature of the performance issue. But at the end of the day, you've got to do something. Is either a conversation around, are you okay? Is everything okay? I've noticed something's not working. Or, look, I've got some, you know, real concerns with your performance. It's not getting better um, and, you know, we need to have a talk about it. So I think either way it's got to get addressed. Yeah, I, I totally, my personal view, okay. I totally agree with this. Uh, a lot of leaders uh, easily uh, looking out. So when there is a performance issue, uh, they always think that surrounding is yeah. wrong. Uh, yet they, like what you said, you know, is the noodle shop clearly stated they need to come at one. Well, if in the contract nothing say at one and out of the blue today, I said to Johnny, hey, Johnny, why do you start at two? Uh, well, that's actually the leader's exactly. problems instead of the the thing. So what I yeah. take from you, Liz, and uh, from you, Nat, as well, uh, performance is a topic that every business will yeah. talk about. But before you just pointing it out, please understand that this, the environment, the ecosystem, really clear of what performance really means. Because what what is performance? Is it money, profit, customer service? Like, you know, is it discipline on time? Is it the quality of the taste of the noodle, yet we don't even run our business like McDonald's where every burger comes out the same. And yet I go into my staff saying that the noodles not taste as good as the way my mom cook it. Well, I mean, that's the crazy part. So I, I agree with both of you. That That is Yeah, and really- look, I mean, we're probably getting close to time now, so please, you know, won't stop it. But yeah. I just think it's not a dirty word, you know. I mean, I think that, you know, we're running a business, um, performance is important. It's about, you know, delivering our expectations, delivering on our commitments. We all have a responsibility when we work for somebody, whether it's yeah. our own business or whatever, to, de- to, to deliver on our expectations, deliver on expectations and commitments and to align to the company's values. I mean, that's what we sign up to. We're all adults. Um, and I think that you've got to, it's yeah. not a dirty word, have it a discussion around performance and what's not working and, and what's working well, what's not working well and how can I support it is not something to be afraid of. It's it's part and parcel and if it's done well and respectfully and, and with kindness and empathy, um, 
then it's very it's 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 not a difficult thing to do. But you can't just ignore it or sweep it under the carpet. And and it's not a dirty word. Like it's it's okay to have performance discussions. That's why we're all here. Right? You know, that's it's yep. you know, I think it's okay. Yeah, totally agree. Back to you, Nat. Oh, fantastic. And we have run out of time, Liz. We could speak to you for another full hour if we could. Um, learned so much. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for everyone for tuning in and for more information on Leader Talk or for some great resources to help your business grow. Check out brainiac.com. Thanks so much, guys. I thanks, everyone. It. Best of luck. Thank you, Liz. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Leader Talk. 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 Leader Talk.